This is In the Trenches, broadcast 58. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is Brian Harris of Video Fruit. And today we're going to talk to Brian about how he built his business from zero to over 10,000 subscribers and over $200,000 in revenue his first year. I consider Brian one of the best people when it comes to online digital marketing. So today we're going to dig into that. So Brian, first and foremost, thanks for being on the call with us today. And take it away. Tell us a little bit about Video Fruit and how you got started uh, doing what you're doing today. Yeah, so Video Fruit is a site I started uh, in May of last year. And it was started out of necessity for myself in that I'd been in offline marketing and sales for the previous 12 years. And when I came online, trying to start an online business, uh, just a lot of the fundamental principles at least to somebody that hadn't done online marketing, looked to be completely different. Uh, so I started the site as a blog. And actually, actually, I guess the blog started in October of last year, so it's it's pretty new still. Um, and I started just reverse engineering what online marketers were doing. So I looked to the guys that were the best out there, the best I could find, like Neil Patel and Gary Vaynerchuk and Seth Godin and Pat Flynn and guys like that that had been around for four or five years um, plus <laughs> – and we're doing really well online. I was just digging into exactly what they were doing that made them be successful. And not on a theory level, but on a grassroots, like, what are the five things I need to do type of level. Um, and the blog uh, it has just become that. I, just today I posted a, a breakdown of a funnel that Derek Halpern used in launching a software product. And it's a detailed out 2000 word post with screenshots of emails and explaining why he did what he did and annotations and just to help people. So somebody that came in and wanted to know, all right, I hear a lot of people tell me to build an email list. Why? Why do I need to do that? What's the point? Well, you can read today's post and see what the fruits of having an email list is. You can launch a product and have it sell out in 21 minutes, which is what happened with Derek last week on a beta launch of a software product. So I just constantly look at what people are doing and talk about it online. And it has a lot of benefits for me in that I learn how to market my business by using these tactics. And I get to teach other people at the same time. And in the meanwhile, I'm building a business around that by using and implementing these marketing tactics for other companies, uh, building tools, building informational products that can help people learn this stuff and apply it uh, better in their business. Yeah, well, I didn't actually know uh, that you had just released that recent article. So I actually, immediately my question that, that came to mind was, is somebody like Derek, does, does, when you do these blog posts, when you construct <laughs> these tactics, yeah. do they get upset at you? These guys that you, because I've seen what you've done for other, other blogs or for other um, techniques and stuff, and I think it's awesome. And I'm always kind of curious. I'm like, I wonder if these guys that do this are upset at Brian because he, he tells the rest of the world how it's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody's got mad yet. Uh, it is it is an interesting line to walk. I, I don't get I don't I have zero reservation about talking about anything that's in my inbox and that I can see publicly online. Um, so if somebody gets mad because I deconstruct an email they sent me, that's their problem. Now, obviously, there's 
you don't want to be a, if it's a private email, you want to get permission. But if it's a public list that I signed up for, I, I'll publicly talk about that stuff. You do have to be careful a little bit in that, like I'll for this post, it's a little tricky um, in that I wanted a, a a content upgrade for this post, so I wanted something somebody could download. So I took all these annotated emails with explanations and put them in a PDF and offered as a download. And you have to be a little careful with how you promote that kind of stuff because. Like technically, I probably shouldn't uh, like drive paid traffic to that site or make it a product in that it has his name on it because then I'm using his trademark to promote my product, which you can't do without permission. But it, but just analyzing and talking about it, it, like I look at my blog as the news, so the news doesn't get permission to report on GE or to report on whoever they're reporting on, and I, I look at myself on these type of things as a reporter. And that if it's public information, I'm talking about it. Now, if I try to monetize somebody else's information, like something I couldn't do would be to copy and paste in a Word doc all of his emails and sell that as my own product. Like you can't do that. So there's lines you can't cross. But uh, what I do, like with his, I was fairly proud of his. It's actually not got a ton of traction for some reason. At least it's early in the day yet. But like it's one of my better deconstructions. I'm getting better as that as I do it more. Um, but it's pretty pretty valuable information. So I guess to answer your question, no, nobody's ever got mad. Will they someday? Maybe. Um, but if it's strictly reporting, that's just their problem. Like I'm not worried about it. If so, most people that are in the world that I'm analyzing get it, so like I'm linking out to them. I'm sending them traffic. A lot of these guys have more traffic than me, so I might not even be a measurable form of traffic right now. But if I send him 400 people to his landing page for his course, like that's a monetizable traffic for him. So that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, obviously, from my perspective, I look at it as, yeah, that's not, it's not like a bad thing for the person that you're analyzing. If anything, there's a positive to it, which is this, just what you described. It's drawing a new crowd to them that maybe wouldn't have come anyway. And then kind of highlighting the way the techniques that they've done kind of in a subtle way says, hey, these guys are basically really efforts at what they do. That's why I'm deconstructing them, which is just another credibility um, piece for them. So again, I, I see it as, as a benefit, but I was just curious if you had ever gotten upset. But that's good to hear. They haven't. And, you know, if somebody did, I, I might adjust slightly. But, like, as far as doing a straight blog post on what somebody's doing, I'm not worried about that. And if somebody gets their feelings hurt, then they can email me and we'll talk about it. But I don't see that changing. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll have that problem. So, you know, to back up a little bit, um, before you started Video Fruit, what were you doing? And what, I guess, what was the light bulb then to start working online? If you were, you were doing marketing offline, why, why go online? I'll have to back up a little bit. Um, I've been since seven years old starting businesses. So me and my brother started a baseball card shop out of our window in the suburbs of Mobile, Alabama in whatever year that was, I guess 1990 or something maybe. Um, so, and that's kind of been in our family. Our My mom was always was in Tupperware, Pampered Chef, some kind of multi-level marketing thing. They were in Amway for a few years and, you know, just... Like I hate multi-level marketing today. Like I think it's an absolutely terrible business model. I'm sure other people disagree with that, but I can't stand it. Um, but so, but there was a lot of good things that came from that. It taught me how to think about having my own business because most people, honestly, just have never thought about it before, and the thoughts intimidating. So just being around that growing up just kind of drilled it into my head and my DNA and made it a part of what I was going to do eventually. So. Fast forward to 2009, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I'd been working in outside sales for the previous seven, eight years. Moved to Nashville, didn't really have a plan. 
started an eBay business, and that eBay business were, uh, was pretty successful for a year or two. Did you know, hundred grand plus in gross sales uh, in the first year, and did you know, did pretty well for a guy that didn't know what he was doing. And then that went south, and I wound up having to get out of that industry. Um, but that kind of introduced me to online stuff. But with eBay, like you're not building your own platform; you're totally just you know, borrowing somebody else's platform. And I learned that lesson the hard way of borrowing versus owning. So if you break somebody's rules or they perceive that you broke their rules and you're living on their platform, they can kick you off of your platform, off of their platform. And if all of your business and all of your traffic comes from that platform, you're out of business the next day. So if you do everything on Facebook, if you do all of your paid traffic, all of your organic traffic, everything comes from Facebook, you're waiting to be screwed because Facebook can decide tomorrow that you can't use Facebook anymore and can kick you off. And it happens sometimes, most of the times for legitimate reasons, sometimes not for legitimate reasons. And all your business is gone tomorrow. Um, so I wanted to try to figure out a way to do it without borrowing somebody else's platform. Now, I'm not opposed to eBay or opposed to Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. But I think you have to own what you're doing to have long-term stability. Um, so after that experience, I went back to what I was good at and what I knew, which was offline sales, and did that for two or three years. And you know, after doing that for two or three years, I was in a good industry, probably one of the best industries you could possibly be in to be an outside salesman as far as earning potential, uh, just market share and saturation, commission structure, like the whole deal was just a really good setup. But I don't know, just after working for two or three years at that job, it just wasn't what I wanted to do in a decade. Like looking back, if a decade later, if I'd made you know two or three, four hundred grand a year, which was very possible in that world, um, you know, I still wouldn't be all that happy because I hadn't done my own thing. And there were some disagreements just in philosophies and ethics and that kind of thing with the company I was at. So I decided again that I was going to try to start something myself. So I actually read a an article on Tim Ferriss's website back in May of 2012. It was by a guy named Chad Moretta. And Chad wrote a blog post on his site that was how to build your own app empire. Uh, and so I, I, while I was still at that company, me and a buddy there uh, put a little money together and started building a couple apps. And they were terrible and didn't make any money. And then a few months later, October of that year, me and another guy hooked up together. And he was a programmer. And I was kind of front-end designer guy, just basically project manager designing. He just helped kind of guide the coder that we hired. And we built three more apps it did pretty well. I mean, made a couple grand a month, nothing crazy, but like it was money coming in from something we built from scratch, which is a really cool feeling. Um, so then uh, that kind of evolved ultimately into video fruit. I wound up uh, making videos for the app, these apps we were building and came across a method for making videos that was really cool. And I started noticing just through this whole process, I'm trying to find something, you know, not that nobody else is doing, but just a need that needs to be filled this high importance level. So, you know, so I was just looking, observing what I was doing, how I was doing it in app world. And then I came across video stuff and found a really easy way to make high quality videos without really knowing much about video stuff at all, without messing with any software. So I, I wanted to kind of dabble in information products. So I made an inf- a course that taught people how to make videos like I made them. Um, and that turned into Video Fruit. So that launched in April of 2013. And then I worked at that from April to September. And in that time, I had the course going. I was pre-selling. It actually hadn't launched yet. I was still pre-selling it. And I wound up doing a little freelance work with a couple companies um, that wound up being able to replace my base salary, not commission and everything, but the base salary I was making in my day job. 
and that allowed me to leave in September of last year uh, and kind of go out on my own. And since then, the blog has started and become the main driver of traffic and sales for you know multiple different revenue streams now. That's awesome. So one thing that stuck out of me was actually toward the beginning of, of that response, and you said something that was that immediately I was like, okay, I want to know about this. You said you learned the hard way uh, about owning versus borrowing a platform, renting a platform. Would you mind elaborating on that? Well, I was on eBay. I was doing um, and this. Kind of goes into the bootstrap thing too. These are two lessons I learned. Unfortunately, I learned them without tons of side effects. Like it wasn't a massive consequence. It was pretty big for me at the time, but looking back, it, you know, it definitely could have ended worse. Like I, I kind of equivocate, uh, uh, I don't know if that's the right word. I kind of use the analogy of if I was like five years older than I was, than I am, I'm 31. If I was 36 during the housing crisis, like during, during the housing boom, like from 2006 to 2008, if I was five years older at that time, I'd have had enough money to do a lot of stupid stuff. And I would have bought and flipped houses and been caught with some hot potatoes and be in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. I'm quite positive I'd have just been five years older than I am. Fortunately, I was young enough where I didn't have money yet to be able to invest in that. So I see what happened in 2009, 2010 as a positive because I was able to learn a lesson with a low cost. And that lesson was, um, you know, all of my business came from eBay. And one day... Several different things happened, and I wound up getting an email from eBay saying, hey, you can't sell on our platform anymore. And eBay owns PayPal as well. And at the time, I had over $20,000 still sitting in my PayPal account that they froze. And it wasn't just my money. Like, it was paying my my salary, basically. But it was also a buddy of mine's money who had invested in this company that I'd started. Very um, low revenue and all. But we were basically buying stuff at wholesale from liquidators and selling it on eBay. So I had done pretty well at that for the first six or seven months and told him about it. And he was like, hey, what if I give you 10 grand and you just buy more stuff and keep doing it and we'll split the cash 50-50, whatever the profit is. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool. So I did that and, you know, and it was just the, some of the growing pains of, of building a business. Some of it was my fault, some of it wasn't, but I wound up getting that email from eBay saying, hey, you can't sell anymore. And we still had, you know, over $15,000 of merchandise that I didn't have a place to sell and $20,000 of cash that was some due to me like to pay the mortgage that month and other due to my investor that had there was a like a personal really close friend of mine that was expecting money back at some point. So it took a good 13 14 months to finally liquidate all the material, clear everything up with PayPal, pay him back and kind of get back to zero again. And just at that point on the investment side, I learned that if I lose $20,000 of my own money, I can get over it pretty quick. Like it sucks, but I can get over it really quick. If I lose $20,000 of somebody else's money, that keeps me up at night for months on end. Like, and I hate being kept up at night. I sleep really well. And when I don't sleep really well, something's got to change. So I made a resolution at that point to not take any. I mean, will I ever under some certain circumstance take some outside investment? Maybe, but that's not in the 10-year plan. <laughs> like I don't anticipate that scenario ever happening. But I've also learned to say not ever say it, never either. So, um, but I hated the feeling. I hated the I hated the way it made me think and the way it made me act, and it just made me kind of be a hungry salesman. And that's the worst kind of salesman you can be. Yeah. So when when you go through an experience like that, like do you did it did it like hit you when you you said you were staying up at night because it, other people's money was involved? I mean, at some points, do you want to throw in the towel? Like, how do you get through that like mentally, emotionally, uh, to I guess, 
have that hit you all at once, which seems pretty overwhelming, and then like move through it. You said it took multiple months. I mean, that's that's tough. So can you tell me about that? Um, yeah, I just went back to what I knew. So at that time, it wasn't time for Brian to start another business. It was time for me to relax, not to relax, um, but to go back to what I knew I could make money at, which was outside sales. Um, so I went back to that world, tried to run up through the ranks as quick as I could in that company and make money where I could get everything back to even kind of just mentally recover too, cause that's just exhausting. So it took a good, I mean, that was 2010. I quit my job in September of 13. So that was a good three, three and a half years of just kind of recovery mode, getting back to normal, kind of getting my head back to clear again. And then as soon as that was there, I mean, I, I was probably there honestly in early 2012. So probably just literally a year or two. Um, but you know, the next year was kind of experimenting with and building the skill set of being able to, you know, build apps and write and all the stuff it took to finally figure out what in the world I'm doing right now, which I still am not quite clear on. Um, but uh, so it was like a year process of after I was clear and ready to start again of just doing it without being stupid. So I wanted this time to make sure I was confident in my skill set, that I was owning what I had and I had the ability to use the skill set I had, which was going and getting business from businesses, like I knew how to do that. So that's what I did. That's how I got a contract, like with Kissmetrics and HubSpot and other companies to to build videos for them by using the skill set I had built up over the last decade. And then that gave me a certain comfort level of being able to go out on my own again. And worst case scenario, I could just get more of those contracts. Um, so the new stuff to me was this passive form of selling via an email list and via traffic. Like that's all the stuff I didn't know and still don't know that well. And that, that, and that's the reason I write the blog is to teach myself is <laughs> like, it's great. Other people read it and like it and that's cool. But it's really for me of the discipline of like by reverse engineering this Derek Halpern sequence, I learned a lot that I'll apply to my product launch that's coming up in a couple weeks. So like, that's really good stuff for me that I wouldn't be disciplined enough to learn otherwise. Well, what a great example of, uh, um, you know, benefiting in multiple ways from building, building any sort of business, but especially doing something online like this, looking at it as a way to educate yourself. And then as, as the consequence though, creating something super popular that it looks like people are, are loving, um, from my perspective, because I've been starting, I see you everywhere. Um, and that's a good thing. Um, so people are obviously doing the content that you're putting out there. It seems like it's such a simple thing, like just really transparent and construct other people's awesome stuff that works, but it's like, I haven't seen that done much. It's it's really, yeah, it's really strange that more people don't do what I'm doing because, I mean, complexity wise, it's not all that hard. Um, and and I got the idea of of doing what I'm doing from uh, football. So, like, I'm a big Auburn football fan, and one of my favorite Auburn football blogs is a writer. Like, he he doesn't even get paid to do it; he just contributes to the site for free occasionally, and he'll break down the statistics and like plays, and he'll like. You know, he'll take one, if Auburn played LSU this weekend, he'll take one of the three or four of the big plays from the game and do screenshots of them and show you what's going on. It's like, you know what? I've watched football my entire life. I've never had anybody ever, like maybe some dumb ESPN analyst do it in a three-second clip, but I've never had somebody in detail break down what is zone blocking. Like I've heard that a million times, and that sounds like a cool idea, but I couldn't tell a kindergartner what it was. But after reading this guy's blog post, it's like, oh, okay, well, like I get that now. And, you know, he, he could write an article a week doing nothing but breaking down Auburn football. And, you know, so I just kind of did the same method with online marketing. Um, and there was a, a thing that Rand Fishkin wrote about one time, and it was this pyramid of learning. 
And, you know, at the, I think maybe, yeah, I guess at the top, which is, or maybe it's a reverse pyramid. So at the bottom where it's really small, it was listening. So like if you're just listening in a lecture, your attention rate is like five or 10%. And at the very other end of the spectrum was teaching. So if you wanted to learn, and, and the retention rate on that was like 90%. So if you wanted to learn, you could either take a lecture at the one end of the spectrum and learn and remember 5% of it, or you could just teach the subject yourself and retain 90% of it. So th- that's kind of the, I guess, the philosophy behind what I'm doing is just the more I teach it, the more it forces me to learn it in depth enough so I can teach other people, which then the retention rate is higher. So anybody can do this stuff. I mean, it's you can do it in any industry you can possibly think of. You can do the exact same thing I'm doing and start blogging tomorrow and not even really know what you're talking about. Just break down what other people are doing. So so my question then, so we went through one of the times where it was really difficult for you, where, where it was, I mean, I think you honestly were... Um, what's, what's the opposite of hyperbole? But uh, you you were kind of like talking, you know, oh, it, you know, it took a couple of years, it was tough, which I think is, is downplaying probably how difficult it was that situation that you were in. Um, which again, it's just props to you for getting out of it and getting through it and not and actually starting again. What have you had on the on the like the opposite end of that? Have you had any massive successes or things that you view as like a success for you, like personally, from where you were at, that you were just like, this is awesome, like maybe launch your course or maybe something recent that you've been doing. You're just like, this is really great. I'm starting to make it or I have made it. Uh, definitely not made it or had made it. Uh, so I wasn't going to answer it until you said that. But n- definitely not that. I have not had that moment and don't ever anticipate having that moment. I think the moment you start thinking like you've made it, you've screwed up. Even guys like Ramit and Noah Kagan and those guys, like I don't ever hear any of those guys using that language. And if they do, I immediately lose a level of respect for them. Like recently I heard Dave Ramsey have an interview and this is a guy that has the second most popular talk radio show in the country. Um, and somebody asked him that question. He's, they asked him, when did you have the moment that you made it? And he said, I still haven't. You know, this is a guy that has 400 employees, does $100 million a year in business. And does it well. So anyway, that, that wasn't the point of your question, but definitely not that moment. But I'll tell you when I get the most excited is anytime I make a sale. Like I just love that feeling. Like I have it set up where any product I sell I get a text message that dings me and says I sold it. So most of my stuff is in the multiple hundred dollar per product thing. So, you know, I don't get like 30 a day yet, (laughs) but, uh, but you know, if I sell a coaching program or somebody renews that month, it dings me. Anytime I sell a, I have a course that's $400 and it sells, it dings me and different other products that I have. Like I, I just get this euphoric high and probably the time that I'm the most excited is when I sell a service package. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know what it is about it, if it's the dollar figure or just working with somebody new. But I was even like that when I was in outside sales. Like, when I got the job, like, that was the funnest part. The implementing is way less fun to me. Like, I, I need to hire a guy to be my implementation guy on service work. But because um, I don't get near as excited about the doing as I do of the selling. So uh, so that's something I really, I really just enjoy. Um, the the selling of the product because to me what that equals isn't just cash in the bank like I mean that's nice um, but what it equals to me is somebody just found value in what I did because the only way you can buy something from me is by reading my stuff first like I don't overtly sell anything on my website like I'm pretty sure you can't click a link that brings you to a sales page on my entire website you have to read a blog post, opt into something, go into an email series, and then sometime, maybe, if you hit the right button, you'll get a sales pitch from me. Um, so I go really targeted on that. It's not overtly selling anything. So for somebody to have bought something from me means they went through a lot of stuff, liked what I did, and then were like, hey, I want more of that. 
And that, that's just, it's just nice to know that you're on the right track. It's a validation of what you're doing. Absolutely. So this is the last question to wrap it up. What are your goals for this year and the next few years as you're building and expanding and growing video fruit and everything else that you're working on? Um, the only goal I have right now, it's the only metric I track. The only goal I'm shooting for like overt metric is daily email subscribers. And that's a goal for this year and will evolve over time to another goal next year. But my goal right now is to get to 75 new email subscribers per day. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but that's my singular goal. As far as long-term vision for Video Fruit, I have no idea. Um, like I like what I'm doing right now. It's fun. Um, right now, I see Video Fruit as kind of an experiment of trying to find the intersection of what I like to do, something that's enjoyable for me, something that serves other people that they get value out of, and something that makes money. Um, so I've been experimenting with all kinds of stuff, with coaching, with informational products, with tools, um, with mentorships, with writing, with video stuff, with courses, just all kind of stuff to see what hits that intersection. And then when I found stuff that hits that, I've doubled down on it um, and tried to do more of what's working in those three areas. So that's kind of the vague answer. The really specific answer is 75 new email subscribers per day because as that list grows, Anything that I find that hits that intersection can be easily sold because now I have people I can reach out directly to and validate it and sell it to them versus if I have 100 people on an email list, it's pretty impossible to build a business off that. So right now, I don't know long-term product, but I do know I need email subscribers. So that's what I'm focusing on. Then when the long-term product thing happens, I know I can uh, talk to that email list, have direct communication that isn't reliant on Facebook's algorithm or Something Twitter, something stupid Twitter might do in the future that kills my ability to communicate. It's all based on email, which I can communicate no matter the platform. Awesome. I love it, Brian. And where can people reach you? Yeah, you can go to uh, videofruit.com slash bootstrapped. I'll set up uh, some bonuses there. You can come and I have a couple of cool strategies that'll teach you uh, how to uh, get your own contract. So that was the first thing I do. And I think the easiest route for people to go to to start online is getting a productized consulting contract with somebody. So I've wrote a guide that'll walk you through that. Just go to videofruit.com slash bootstrapped to get it. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you're interested in checking out the show notes, just head over to tomworkers.com slash podcast to see our latest episodes. Also, I just wanted to give a quick update to fans and listeners of In the Trenches and specifically what I'm working on right now. For the past two years, I've been publishing books, my own and others, through Insurgent Publishing, my boutique publishing company. In the past six months alone, I've helped four individual authors launch their books to bestseller on Amazon, including Dan Norris's The Seven Day Startup and David Nihil's Do You Talk Funny, among others. And both of those books are still top of the charts months after launch. I've learned two important things from all this. Number one, that people still read books. And believe it or not, they're willing to pay for the good ones. And number two, the $60 billion book industry is only getting bigger and the barrier to entry is only getting lower, which means access to this market has never been closer to the average writer, blogger, or author. It is literally within the grasp of anyone who wants it. But you need to know how to approach it the right way, with patience, with a strategy, and with the right implementation and execution. That's why I've been able to launch so many bestsellers, many that are still top of the charts, because we brought great books to the people who wanted and would pay for them. No slimy sales tactics, just honest, 
powerful marketing. Now, I want to show other authors and publishers how to do the same. Four months ago, I launched the pre-beta to a new super secret platform called Publishers Empire. In that time, I've helped a dozen authors and publishers start to bring their ideas to life. And with their help and feedback, we've quickly developed what is, in my opinion, the best, most comprehensive publishing training platform in the world. And now I'm getting ready to open the doors up to a few more students. So if you're interested in being part of a tight-knit family of publishers who help and support one another through their writing and publishing projects, if you want access to over 100 HT training videos to take you through the writing and publishing process, if you want access to proven copy and paste book marketing and sales copy, stuff that we've used to launch bestsellers, and if you'd like professional book covers and templates you could plug your own work into and look like a pro in minutes, and if you'd like all of that while getting the chance to be mentored by me, check out PublishersEmpire.com and sign up to be notified when we launch. That's www.PublishersEmpire.com. I hope to see you there. As always, this is Tom Morcus. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.